Well, it's a great privilege to be back here at Hamilton Elam. It's been a few years. Uh, a few years ago, I was about 2010, 2011, I was uh, living in the States. I've been there for about 12 years doing ministry all across America. I got started out in the ministry in the States. And uh, we were doing gospel events in different parts of the world. And anyway, I had to come back to New Zealand. I wanted to focus in on Australia and New Zealand and South Africa. And I just felt that God had put that in my heart. So I came back to New Zealand really not knowing what God had in store for me. And um, so I, my intro back to New Zealand was I was organizing a tour of speaking tour for my mentor in the ministry, Mike Francine. And as part of that speaking tour around the country, he came in and did about four nights of meetings here in Hamilton Elam. And then Pastor Bob had me come and do a Sunday service to kind of close that out. And um, I was uh, billeted by uh, Peter and Lois. I thank God I survived that experience. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, but no, they were such a blessing. They've been such great friends and so many wonderful people here at the church. It's so great to be back. Um, but I, look, I would like to say that um, it was Hamilton Elam that just really sparked something for me in New Zealand. And since then, um, I've been able to travel and minister all over the country um, in different capacities. God's opened up such tremendous doors um, since that time. And now I'm uh, really here to represent World Vision. Uh, and for many years traveling in the ministry, uh, seeing different, uh, coming back from traveling internationally, uh, you know, coming back to New Zealand, uh, from the developing world coming home, there was many times struggling with a sense of guilt coming back to New Zealand about how good we have it here. Uh, and so I think there's just been something that's bird, been burning in my heart as well for doing something to help with long-term poverty alleviation. And so this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts from my heart with you. Um, how many of you did the uh, challenge during the week? Did many of you do that? And you got the text messages. Did we get a few people participating in the challenge? Wonderful, and so um, we had a young, a little girl who texted us, um, texted World Vision um, in response to the second day. So each day there's a series of challenges that come through. For those of you that did it, you know. And on day two is the challenges to skip uh, coffee and, and just to drink water for the day. Now pastors typically find that one difficult. Uh, you know, the afternoon rolls around and they start getting caffeine headaches and. Uh, then they realize that they've got a coffee addiction they need to repent of. Amen. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, so this little girl, she texted in to World Vision, and she said about the drink-only water challenge for the day, she said, it wasn't that hard for me because I'm a kid and I don't drink coffee. Uh, I think it would be very hard to drink dirty water every day because usually I drink milk before going to sleep. I'll pray for the people that have very little. And we texted this little girl back telling her we were very proud of her for doing this challenge and thinking about the poor. Uh, you know, she gets to drink milk before she goes to sleep. A lot of kids around the world, they have to walk six kilometers a day to get not even clean drinking water. And we have it so good uh, in so many respects. Um, so anyway, so I wanted to start out with a story which people say to me, you know, oh, what about these, these organizations? They do humanitarian work and... And do they preach the gospel? Well, I want to talk to you as a gospel preacher a little bit this morning, uh, off of the back of that kind of thought around the work of World Vision. Um, I was doing an, an event, a gospel event in the city of Guinea in the northeast of Ethiopia a number of years ago. 
and we had this wonderful gospel event there, and it was in a predominantly Muslim town, and they didn't want us in that town, but we were there anyway, amen? We were there to preach the gospel, the unashamed, unchanging power of the gospel, whether or not we were celebrated or not. Amen. And we were preaching in this town, and you could feel that sense of, you're not welcome here. Amen. It's sometimes good for us as believers to, to get into situations like that. We're not always celebrated. Amen. It's good. It's nice to get a pat on the back. It's nice to get some encouragement. But then I think there are times and seasons where it's good for us to get a little taste of persecution. I don't hear that many amens this morning. Amen. <laughs> So here we were in this town, and you could feel the kind of the angst, and there were a lot of people there that really were angry at us being there. Who do you think you are coming into our town preaching about Jesus and preaching the gospel? And we had the army there with machine guns protecting our crusade against militants coming in and trying to snuff it all out and, and stop people coming to Christ. And, and it was a tough, tough, tough environment that we were in. And I remember getting into that place and, and I got to talking with the, the, the event organizer and he said that he came to Christ in that town and, and, he, and, and just as he was coming to Christ within a year or two, he, he had been shot at by Muslim extremists and he had been uh, beaten up and left for dead and lying under the bushes and, and he had been through tremendous persecution uh, to share the gospel in that city and in that town. And there was another gentleman there who was also one of the hosting pastors in the city and he said to me that he had been into that into that city and he had been into that area his whole life he grew up and he was in his 70s and he said in the 1950s there was a, a group of missionaries that had come in from Sweden and they'd open up a little medical facility there and there was a medical clinic and they were there to to help people in the local community and provide medical relief to people and as as they began to just have they had a few uh, workers there, Muslim workers, and they began to teach them how to speak English, reading the Bible, and eventually these Muslim workers became Christians. But they didn't preach the gospel, and they were there for about 20 years in that era, just providing medical help. But all these three workers, they came to Christ, and then the communists came into power into Ethiopia, and, and all the missionaries were kicked out of the country, and these three Christian workers, because they were Christian, got put into prison. And they spent many years in prison, and eventually when they were released, they all three of them got into the ministry, and they planted churches in, in that area. And all those years later, I remember this pastor standing with me on the stage, and he said, these people that are here, and all the, all the Christians that are gathered, and all the people that are inviting in, he says, this is the fruit of all those years of my hard work. And the work, the, the perseverance, the, 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 against the flow of, of, of the persecution that he had experienced, he persevered. And, and here he was seeing all these thousands of people coming to hear the gospel and all the wonderful miracles that happened and people were getting delivered. It was wonderful. And one of the Muslim guards says, if, if I ever change my religion, this is what I change it to. He says, this is the power of God. Amen. And so anyway, we were in that area, and I thought to myself, here were these sweetest missionaries just doing acts of kindness in the name of Jesus. 
And here, yeah, many, many years later, how the whole area had opened up to the gospel. And this is what World Vision does, I believe. I've spent a little bit of time talking with Alex Sneary, who came out of this church as a missionary, being in different parts of the world. And he's worked with World Vision on the ground. And he sees, he sees the work of World Vision as a form of pre-evangelism and a way to open up areas. So we're going to the areas of the poorest of the poor, going to areas that don't have any Christian presence, don't have any church presence, don't have any gospel presence. And these people need the love of Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, I want to talk to you for a moment about who is my neighbor and who is my brother. And this morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments out of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me. We'll have the scripture up this morning. Genesis 4 and verse 9 and 10. It says here in this passage, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And Cain said, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said to him, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Here in this passage, Cain and Abel had had a falling out. They're brothers and and they're the children of Adam and Eve. and, And sin had entered the human race. And we see the manifestation of sin in this moment because Cain's sacrifice had, hadn't been pleasing to God and Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. And this favor that was on Abel because he had the right kind of a heart, all of a sudden in Cain's heart, his heart, he started to feel like envy welling up on, in his heart and hatred coming up on the inside of him. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when something good happens to you and someone, someone gets upset or envious and angry at you, I don't know if you, if you, if you know it, have you experienced that kind of thing, but not everybody's going to celebrate you. Amen. When, when you have the blessing of God on your life, not everybody's going to be happy. Not everybody's going to celebrate you, especially here in New Zealand, tall poppy syndrome, New Zealand. You'll be the, we'll be the first people to tell you and peg you down and peg or two. And when things start, good things start to happen for you. And here in our hearts, here in, as believers, as Christians, we need to have a, a different kind of a heart. We need to have a kind of heart that celebrates people when they're successful and blesses people when they're doing well and wants the best for our brothers and wants the best for others. That's the kind of heart God wants us to have. And many times in our hearts, is, there's a, a sin that creeps up and an envy that creeps up and something that creeps up. And this built up in, in Cain's life to the point where he killed his brother. And we see so much of this in the human race. So many problems and so much suffering we see in this world is a result of sin in the human race. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And he's saying to God, I don't have any responsibility for him. I didn't have any, it's none of my business what happens to him, but God's saying, no, no, this is your business. And as believers, we all have business to be concerned with how we treat others. It's our business about how we treat others, not just in our own immediate family, not just amongst our friends, but the wider community and even the global community. We need to have that kind of a heart that is concerned with the issues and the problems of this world. And God comes to Cain and he says, what is, what's in your heart? And he rejects God and he says, you know what? 
I don't want anything to do with all of this way that you've set everything up. God is looking for people with love in their hearts for one another, that we celebrate one another's successes. And, and yet Cain had allowed sin to grip his heart. And this is, this is kind of the essence of the problem, a lot of the problems we have in the human race. Cain didn't care about his brother, and, the, and then Abel's blood was spilled on the ground, and it began to cry out to God. There's this response to the blood. And I believe that every time blood is shed, there's something, some sacrifice goes into the ground that God responds to. And this is what happened when Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed. And, and I believe that even today, the gospel is a gospel of response. And as I remember going to different parts of the world, as you preach the gospel, as you share about the blood of Jesus, what God is looking for from people is a response. A gospel is a response gospel, Amen. It's a response, it's a, it's a gospel that says God has done something. He's looking for a response from you and me. And God's crying out and he says, he says, his blood, his blood is crying out to me. And there's this response that God is looking, he's, he's responding to the blood. And God is a responding God. His blood, he says, the blood is crying out to me from the ground. There's this damage that has been done. God doesn't overlook damage this morning. And we say sometimes, well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, what about this that happened to me? What about that that happened to me? Where was God when this happened? Where was God when that happened? Where was God when all these injustices happened in my life? Let me encourage you this morning. Not one thing escapes God's attention. Not one thing God overlooks. And if you hang in there in faith and dare to believe God, no matter how tough it gets, God will be glorified and justified in every situation you face. And here in this passage, we see the effects of a fallen world. And much of the poverty we see in the world is, is to do with this sin of humanity and the effects of sin and, and corruption and greed. You know, it's a tricky thing working in this world vision capacity as, as, a, as a preacher of the gospel going into situation. You think to yourself, you know, you, we try and fix these war-torn countries and protect them. And sometimes I think to myself, we need, a, we need to get in there with a bunch of machine guns and sort out all these guys as well as helping people. But that's not the way of Jesus. Amen. He gets in there. He humbled himself and was obedient to the cross. God in lowly and repaired and restored and rebuilt. That's the God we serve. He's a loving God. But there's so much damage that gets done in this world because of hatred, because of greed, and because of corruption. I want to talk to you for a few moments from the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus answering this question of who is my neighbor? In Luke 10, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, Luke 10 and verse 25, and reading through to verse 37, I just want to read this passage to you this morning. Here he's saying here, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Let me just say here for a moment, it's not always easy being in the ministry 
and his Jesus. Amen. Am I preaching to somebody here this morning? The pastors are listening to me this morning. It's not always easy being in the ministry because here these people here were trying to trick him. And you say, well, yeah, no, this is nasty. He's, he's, going, he's saying, he's asking a question to test him. And the trickery of a human heart, all these tricks and, and so forth. And going, we all think, oh my goodness, I, I love you, Lord. I'll do anything for you. I'll serve you. And then all of a sudden you walk into all these tricks here. And he's being tested by this person. And, and of course, you're thinking to yourself, I know when I stepped out in the ministry, I thought everything was going to just be, I just went tiptoeing through the tulips. But I walked through a whole minefield of all kinds of different things that I had to weave my way through. And here's Jesus weaving here. Amen. He's weaving here and this person is trying to trick him and to test him and he's trying to, to push his own agenda. And Jesus is coming back with all these clever answers. And he's saying, and now he, first of all, he's trying to trick him. And then the second thing he's trying to do is justify himself because he's feeling condemned. My goodness, the amount of people I've preached the gospel to and they turn around and tell you how good they are. Amen. And they know they're not. And yet there's something convicting them in their heart and you've got to somehow get past that and really dig a little deeper into that person's heart and into that person's life to see what's really going on on the inside. And so Jesus begins to tell the story. He says to them, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and bent him and went away and leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man pass by on the other side, so too a Levite. So here in the story, just let me say, Jesus is having a little dig back at this guy, isn't he? He's pointing his finger back at him because this is a proud religious person. And he's, he's in, an, in, a, in an indirect way having a little dig. Amen. It's okay to do that in the ministry sometimes. So he gets down and, and he gets him and he says, so there's this proud religious person walking on the other side of the road and ignoring this man. And then a Levite also does the same thing. And then he said, and then there's this Samaritan who's a despised person, somebody who everybody else looks down on and that doesn't think he's anybody special and he's a humble person. He says, he stopped. And he went over to him and he took pity on him and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought in turning, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, when I return I'll have reimbursed you for any extra expense you might have. Let me just say here at this point, it is wonderful to serve and love Jesus. It is wonderful to serve and love God. But if your faith doesn't have an element of doing something, amen? Now, I'm not talking about salvation by doing. I'm not saying if you do good things, you're going to be saved. I'm not saying that here this morning. But I'm saying if you're really saved, there'll be some fruit in your life. You will be the kind of person that cares about other people. You won't see someone lying in a ditch on the side of the road and keep on walking. I know I'm treading on some toes this morning. 
So which of these three things do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What was Jesus pointing at in this man's life? Now see, this man was trying to test Jesus. He was trying to trick him. And he was trying to justify himself and say how awesome he was. Now we know a lot of people like that. At least I know I do. I know I've been guilty of that sin myself. Let me tell you a little story before I get further into this message. I remember one time I've been traveling throughout the States and God had been showing up in all these meetings and everywhere we had been going, the power of God was showing up and shaking the place everywhere we went. And I got home one time to my office in Tulsa. I was living in America, sat down in my chair, and I started to think to myself, you're quite the evangelist. Started to think to myself, look at you, going to all these places, and everywhere you go, the places are being shaken with the power of God. And I started to think to myself, yeah, you're quite special. And a little bit of pride started to creep into my mind and my heart. And as I was sitting there, I could feel the power of God start to shake me. And I'm sitting in my chair at the office and I'm trying to type out an email to talk to a pastor and respond to a pastor and my hands are shaking, amen. Talking on the phone, trying to talk on the phone when your hand is shaking. And I'm shaking the whole day. And the shaking continued all night. I'm going to sleep. I'm trying to get to sleep. I'm shaking so hard. And in the second day, the shaking continued. And you say, well, you know, I didn't have some sort of medical condition. It was the power of God shaking me. Second day this happened, third day this happened. At the end of the third day, I said to the Lord, what are you doing? Why are you shaking me? Like this. He said to me, you just remember who's doing all the shaking around these churches. Amen. Amen. We need sometimes to have a little heart check, a little reminder of who we are serving and who we are. And, and in, the, in the presence of God Almighty, we're, not, we're nothing in the, in the eyes of Almighty God. He's God Almighty. He's God all by Himself. And here Jesus is saying to this man, I don't want to see an outward sign of religiousness. I don't want to see you looking all prim and proper. I'm looking for a, a heart of compassion. I'm looking for a heart of mercy. And more than that, I'm looking for a heart of mercy to, to get to the point where you actually do something. Whew. Look, I, I, can, I, can, I can kind of feel I'm treading on some toes this morning. Amen. A little bit. But sometimes I know those messages have challenged me to step out of faith and, and do something for God. I heard a message like this many years ago. I got into prison ministry, went and did some ministry into to the prisons because I thought to myself, Jesus said I was sick. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And I thought, I'm not going to get into heaven and say, hear Jesus say that to me. I wanted him to say, you know what, Barry? I was in prison and you came and visited me. Amen. Amen. And so this man here, he said to him, go and do likewise. And this expert in the law was well-versed in matters of theology. 
And I love theology myself. I love to study the Word. I love to get into debates about uh, matters of theology. And I love to just debate the Scriptures. And I love to debate the things of God with atheists and all kinds of different people and the ins and outs of it all and, and the existence of God and the arguments for the existence of God and so forth. And there are some times when we've got to remember that the real heart of the Christian faith and message is a love for Jesus and a real heart of love for broken people. And we really care about people that are sick, people that are in prison, people that are dying, people that are in the, in the, in the developing world that are hurting. God wants us to have this kind of a heart. I remember a number of years ago, we had this gospel event in the, in the city of, El, of uh, Santa Ana in El Salvador. <clears throat> and we had this man that came to the meeting and he had no wheelchair. He was a crippled man and he dragged himself to the meeting on, on his legs. He dragged himself along the ground. And he came to the crusade because he thought to himself, if I can get to this crusade, maybe somebody will get healed and maybe I'll get their wheelchair. So he came to the crusade and believed in God for a wheelchair. Hey, man, he's at a healing crusade, believing God for a wheelchair. <clears throat> came to this crusade, he had the wrong kind of a motive, wrong kind of a heart, but he had a wrong kind of a focus. But he came to that crusade and that particular night, the Spirit of God just swept through that, through that crowd of people and there were a lot of people that were deaf and blind were healed that night, but nobody got out of their wheelchair and, and this man got very upset with God. And he got so angry with God, he began to beat the, the ground with his fist and begin to curse God. And he began to make so much noise that the police and the security team came around to find out what was the problem was because he was making so much noise. One of the police officers picked him up off the ground and, and as he did, the power of God began to go through his body and shake him and he began to walk around that place. I'm telling you, God fixed the true source of his problem. And that man thought he had a, an answer to his problem, but God knew what the real answer to his problem was. And yet here in this passage, here's this pharisaical person thinking, I'm going to show Jesus that I'm a, I'm a good person. And yet Jesus is saying to him, if you are truly got the right kind of a heart, you'll do something about your faith. You'll take a step of faith and you'll help people. This question, who was my neighbor? Here is a very important question to God. In Matthew 25, verse 37 to 40, I'm going to read that passage to you this morning, talks about this very thing. Jesus says here in Matthew 25, verse 37, it says, The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sicker in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Here in this passage, we see Jesus talking about brothers and sisters of his and, and talking about the whole of humanity and so forth. And he's saying this, if you help one person in the name of Jesus, you're helping him, Jesus himself. I'm going to ask the team to play a little video for us, and then I'm going to close with a few, few thoughts. I 
I came from a broken family. There was no love. There was a lot of mistreatment from my stepdad. And I watched the other girls getting married one by one, such that by class seven, I was the only girl. At the end of every term, there were complaints from the community that the teachers were adding all the boys' marks to this girl. Because I used to be top in school, I used to be top in class. I remember that day, the teachers called us for an assembly. We were taken to a separate classroom. Write about yourself. That I can conclude must have been the first letter to my sponsor. The next time we were called, I received a letter and she sent me a photo. I remember one of her letters where she said, your photo is in my bedroom, so every time when I wake up, I see your beautiful smile, and I was like, yeah, finally there's nothing wrong with me. That's what I felt. I felt like there's someone out there who cares, who is interested in me. You see where your money went? This is what I did, this is what I've done. I'll be very grateful to her. That what you did is what made me choose my current career. And that what you did is what is still driving me to want to grow into someone else. The kind of change you wanted to see in that little girl's life is what I've always remembered that if I work hard, Oh my God. <laughs> that was more than I expected and more than I would have ever wanted. You know, I was hoping at least that I was helping, but I had no idea to what extent that would go. In Matthew 25, Jesus refers to his brothers and sisters with a clear invitation, feed them clothe them, give them something to drink, don't let them be alone. In a word, love. Jesus wants us to love our families, just like you're doing now. But his unique invitation is to expand who we include when we think of family. It's easy to love your family. It's harder to love people you see around you. It's even harder to love people you've never met in a place you've never been. And yet these are the ones Jesus calls us to serve in Matthew 25. Today, your family could change a life by sponsoring a child. You just might find that your life changes in the process. Hope comes alive when we respond to Jesus' call to love the least of these. For those of you that have participated this week in the Matthew 25 Challenge, thank you so much. And I just hope that today you just have um, just a, a moment or two to reflect. But before I just uh, close things up, I just want to share a little story. Uh, 
my second time into India, it was 2007, doing a gospel event there. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful event. We had so many people, about 3,000 people raised their hands, gave their hearts to Christ. It was a wonderful time. We had wonderful follow-up, uh, amazing time. But there was a church that was hosting the event who was, uh, they were having a, a harvest uh, celebration at the church. And all the, the ladies at the church were baking uh, cakes to, to raise funds for the work of the church. And the, the church was built on a slum. And so they were helping the poor in that, in that slum area in India. And I remember there, I was, at, I was there just at the store getting some rest for the day, preparing for the, for the, for the, for the crusade session that night. And just getting some rest. And there was an elderly lady at the edge of the crowd. And she looked very poor. And she was just really all skin and bone. And I just thought to myself, you know, what's it going to cost me? to feed this lady and to give her something to drink. And so I said to the, one of the ladies at the cake stall, I said, could you give this lady as much tea as she wants and as many cakes as she, could, she wants to eat here? And it didn't cost me all but 50 cents or so to, to, to do this. But I remember paying that little bit of money and this lady came over and they gave her as much cake as she wanted and as much tea as she wanted to drink. And I remember she just crouched down and started to eat this cake and, and drink this tea. And she kept looking up at me with these grateful eyes. And I've had so many encounters with God in my life, but I'm telling you, in that moment I had an encounter with Jesus. I thought to myself, this isn't, this isn't just this Hindu lady here drinking this cup of tea. This is Jesus right here looking at me. And I thought to myself, you know, that's that scripture which says, as much as you've done it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me. And I, that, from that moment on, I thought to myself, I'm going to do as much as I can in my lifetime to help the poor. And I'm an evangelist at heart. That'll never change with me. We've got events planned in the future. I love to preach the gospel. But this, this, this sadness that's in the world, as the church, as the body of Christ, we, we have the power to make a change. We have the power to make a difference. Uh, on your seats this morning, we've given each of you a little story card. This one's a Chero story card. And uh, each of the story cards has children from the challenge during the week. If you want to have a look at these little challenge cards, there's a little story you can read about the life of Chiru and uh, living in Kenya here and their story. And, each, and in the back of the card is a little place where if you want to sponsor a child with World Vision, you can just fill out the form, $50 a month, and we can come. To, I'll be at the booth at the end of the service. Uh, you can come and sponsor a child. But let me just say too about child sponsorship. It's more than just sponsoring one child with the World Vision model. You're actually helping an entire community. The money goes into, and because of our community-focused model, every dollar that every dollar that every child that's sponsored one, when you sponsor one child with World Vision, four other children get the benefit in that community. So it's not just them you're helping; it's the entire community. And I just want to close this morning with a, a quote from John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Preach the gospel all over the over England. And as believers, I believe we're called to do good. And this is how we fight our battle by doing good. And he said this, he says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in, any, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And I want to encourage you today to do something good. 
and consider sponsoring a child with World Vision. But look, I want to say thank you so much to the church for allowing me to come and represent World Vision today. If God lays it on your heart to sponsor a child, I know my wife and I sponsor a child in Cambodia. We're going to visit our sponsored child later in this year. But uh, just thank you so much again, Pastor, for having us come and share today. God bless.